In a world of uncertainty, one thing is for sure. Cancer doesn't stop during a global crisis. On Saturday, June 13th, the Leukemia and Lymphoma Society, LLS, will host a trailblazing event, Big Virtual Climb, sponsored by AbbVie, to support their investment in groundbreaking research to advance blood cancer cures and its first-in-class patient education and services, including financial support and clinical trial navigation. Step up to take cancer down by climbing 61 floors or 1,762 steps inside or outside, on stairs, on the road, on your treadmill. Climb your way any way you want. Join us for an opening ceremony and then take on your climb with our heart-pumping playlist. Join us on June 13th from coast to coast as we come together to climb, conquer, and cure. Register at lls.org slash bigclimb. We want the Big Ten Championship, and we're going to win it as a team. No man is more important than the team. No coach is more important than the team. The team, the team, the team. When the old season is over, you and I know it's going to be Michigan again. Michigan. Okay, everybody, welcome back to another episode of Run Past Michigan, our RPM podcast here on The Athletic. Hope everyone is doing well. I am, of course, Nick Baumgartner, along with Austin Meek. We are still together but separate. Austin, uh, how are we doing on uh, the other side of town there in your quarantined-ish area? Although, although we can't. Have you got a haircut yet? We can't go out. We can't do uh, I've things, not gotten so. a haircut. I think I'm just going to let it go, man. I'm going to let yep, it grow. I'm going to see how long, I can, how long I can get this thing. I might have, a, uh, might have a ponytail down my back the next time you see me. I don't know. Nice. I like that. I like that. You had a mustache at one point during. I did. Uh, yeah, I, I, month. <laughs> I think I have. Uh, I have transformed into the most annoying version of myself during this <laughs> quarantine, which uh, it's not the best strategy, frankly. Yeah. Uh, when you're in the same house with the same people twenty four hours a day, you kind of start to get on people's yeah. nerves. So I've had to tone it down a little bit, but. I think uh, I think I can. Uh, I think I, I yeah. I think I'm in the same boat, man. I think it's the same thing for me over here. Uh, I think they want me out of here more than anything else. But that's neither here nor there. Uh, we got a few things to discuss today, of course, um, and we'll start. We figured with um, sort of Michigan's sort of collective response to all that has been happening in the world over the last couple of weeks, which sort of the most notable. Uh, of course, was what was it last Tuesday, Austin, uh, Jim Harbaugh, members of his coaching staff, uh, some players, uh, members of the program and, you know, folks that were that were in town uh, all went out and, uh, and participated in some peaceful marching, um, you know, against police brutality, systemic racism, everything else there last Tuesday in Ann Arbor, um, which, you know, turned a lot of heads, drew, drew some attention and um, really was the first that I could, I tried to go back and think about it. One of the first, anyway, examples of a college football coach and his staff saying we are fully behind our players and showing it, right? More than just a statement, it was some serious action that was was taken there. I, I you know, I've sort of seen Jim Harbaugh's um, responses to to his players who've asked, you know, can you help us in this area or what have you before. I, I'm, I am curious, Austin, on your your end, you know, what was your reaction when? Um, you know, rather than waiting on multiple statements or what have you, you saw all of a sudden we look up and Jim Harbaugh's out there walking, uh, walking with his guys. Right. Well, this is a moment when all coaches are figuring out how to respond to this, mm-hmm. uh, and they're you know they're they're hearing the voices of of their players, and I think a lot of them 
are are maybe some of them maybe for the first time are are looking at some things that in the past it was possible for them to ignore right uh and you know i i think that we've seen statements coming out from all over the sports world from from owners and organizations and coaches and i think in some cases you do have to ask you know how much of this is genuine? How much of this is just yeah. responding in the moment and saying the right thing? You know, how much are some of these people going to back it up? And I think one thing about, about Jim Harbaugh that you do have to acknowledge is that this is not something that he just you know, woke up one day and said, I'm going to do this because it's, it's the trendy mm-hmm. thing to do. Uh, I do think that Jim Harbaugh has, has been on the right side of this. Going back yes. to when he coached Colin Kaepernick, um, mm-hmm. and I think that you you do have to give Jim Harbaugh credit for that. Um, that it's not just a you know it's not just a one day thing. Uh, you know whatever his personal beliefs are, you know, and I think a lot of coaches are in are in tough positions uh, and maybe torn a little bit uh, on both sides of this thing. Uh, but I think that the thing that Jim Harbaugh ha- has shown. Going back to his time with with the 49ers, is that uh, he is going to listen to his players? Yeah, and you know, frankly, we've you know we've seen some things come out at some programs where it's like <laughs> you ask the question of some of these coaches, like what what have you guys been doing for the last ten years? You know, yeah, uh, ha- have you really been in tune uh, with with the voices of of your players? And I think there's some coaches today getting a a rude awakening and realizing maybe I haven't been listening to my players the way I should have been. Maybe some of the rules in my program uh, that I thought were, you know, for the best interest of protecting the brand or being a successful football program, maybe those aren't always aligned with uh, the best interests of the players and really listening and hearing the voices of the players. Uh, and I do think that Jim Harbaugh, you know, Jim Harbaugh is not above criticism. He's, he's not perfect on everything. But I think right. that in this case, you'd have to say that he's one of those coaches who has shown that he does listen to the voices of the players. Yeah. And, and like you said earlier, it's been it's been sort of proven over the years. Um, you know, I was there in the press conference on it was a Monday press conference in 2016, uh, the Monday after. I believe Colin Kaepernick took a knee for the first time. Either that was one of the first times anyway. It was very early on in that season, which I think I got the date right. 2016 uh, was the year that, that that he did that. And, of course, you know, it was Harbaugh's second season. And right after, you know, he was asked about um, about that as he'd been, you know, close with, with Colin and everything else and remained, you know, in touch with him. And, and his initial response was, uh, you know, a little bit uh, – I think he was a little bit confused because I, I think he was – Initially, like you know, I don't, I don't want to get into something where I feel like we're disrespecting the flag because that was also important to him. But then I think, even that day, I think his answer sort of turned into, well, you know, I respect his right to do so, and I respect his, and eventually it was, I respect his motivation to do so. You know, after listening to some folks on why he was doing what he was doing, uh, and then you know, Michigan had players as well that year, uh, Jordan Lewis and, and a bunch of guys that um, demonstrated during anthems and. You know, Jim Harbaugh was vocally behind them the entire time. Um, you know, I go back to a couple different things in my time covering him that he said over the years. 
And like you said, Austin, he's not perfect. Nobody's perfect. But, you know, there have been, been some constants, one of which, and I think this is held true for most of his coaching career, if you join his team, if you're on his team and you're a member of the team and, and you're fully, you know, all aboard the train and you're all in, which, you know, by and large in a college football program, that's everybody. You know, if you're there, you're all in. Uh, you know, he's always said, if you're on my team, you're my, you're my family is your family for the rest of your life. We're friends forever. And that's how I'm going to do everything I can, you know, from here on out to support you and help you. Does it always work out that way? No. But in my experience, when, when guys ask him for help or when guys come to him and say, coach, we need you to do this. He says, yes, what do you need me to do? And then they do it, you know, almost immediately without thinking. I mean, the other thing would be, you know, his, (laughs) he said this before too, when, when people ask me to do something, my default is usually yes. My default is usually I'm going to go help. And my understanding with this was, you know, they had a they had a talk, the whole team did, or a portion of the team, whatever it was, earlier that week on Monday or Sunday or whatever it was, um, in the wake of George Floyd, you know, being killed. And, uh, you know, some of the guys said, you know, coach, we're going to go walk downtown. We'd love it if you came. And he said, sure, let's go. And then they all went and did it. And it was really that simple. And sometimes... Um, you know, the simple stuff really speaks the loudest. And I think that you're right, Austin. I think that this is another example of of a coach who right when right when the kneeling thing started was a guy who probably if he admitted if he was fully honest and admitted to you now would would have said maybe a little bit confused, but then very quickly, okay, yeah, now I understand what you're saying and I totally am on board with that. And has supported that ever since. He was asked about Donald Trump's comments on the topic in 2017. He said he said he thought they were ridiculous. He's never had any problem standing against that. Um, so, yeah, I mean, I think it's 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 really difficult. For, it would be difficult for anyone to look at, you know, sort of how Jim Harbaugh has done um, work in that sort of realm in terms of listening to his players. He talked a lot about even after the 17th season that he wanted to listen to them more, listen to all quarters of them and see, hey, am I doing anything that I need to change? Uh, and I think that's a constant process. And I, I, I don't think that that's common. I mean, I don't think that that's... Uh, I don't think you see that everywhere. You know, I think you see some folks say that that's the case and then it's just not. And again, I don't think Jim Harbaugh has ever claimed to be perfect in this area. And he's probably not perfect in this area. There probably are times where maybe something slips through the cracks or what have you. But I think by and large, it seems, you know, that he's doing sort of what a leader uh, and, a, and, a, and a person that's in charge of helping young people sort of find their own voices, which we've seen as well, Um that should be part of your job. That should be part of what you're doing. And it seems like that, and, and not just him, his old staff, you know, Jay Harbaugh, Ed Warner was out there, uh, Ben McDaniels, John Nua. Um, so that was, you know, I thought that was really cool to see. Just a lot of guys together and um, no one asked any questions. I just went out and did it. I thought that was kind of neat. I think the coaches who are handling this moment the best are the ones who uh, are, are able to adapt you know, yeah. because uh, the the way you lead a college football program has changed so much, even over the last decade, the last two decades. I mean, you know, you think back to the time that Bo Schembechler was here, just a totally different uh, era. And, you know, it, it's better in so many ways. I mean, you know, we, we love to kind of idealize the past and think about how it used to be. And you think, man, weren't those the good old days right, uh, you know, yeah. back in the 70s? Uh, but you really dig into it. A lot of things that happened then uh, that don't happen anymore, and that's a good thing. You know that that means we're moving in the right direction. If if we're getting better, if we're you know, having these conversations uh, and, and listening to some of the voices uh, that that maybe weren't weren't listened to uh, 
uh, in the past. So, you know, there there has been you know, since the beginning very much a top-down structure uh, within college football that you know the head coach is this ultimate authority figure. Uh, mm-hmm. And everybody walks around, you know, sort of in fear of, of the coach who, who has so much power in the program. Um, you know, that that structure, I don't I don't think that that works today in the same yeah. way that it used to. And we're seeing that at, at some programs around the country where, you know, the head coach has had so much power uh, and the players have had so little power and so little voice uh, that sometimes things fester, you know, sometimes that stands in the way of, of programs, uh, making, making more progress. And I think the coaches who have understood that and the coaches who have empowered their players, you know, I mean, like James Franklin at Penn state, you know, people have differing opinions about James Franklin. Right. Uh, one thing that I, one thing that I think James Franklin has done a really good job of is empowering his players uh, and really standing up for his players, you know, mm-hmm. in cases where you know maybe the fan base had a reaction to you know I don't I don't like the way this guy dresses, uh, you know I don't yeah. like this guy's hairstyle, and you know James Franklin has stood up and said, hey, our guys are going to be them themselves. We embrace that, uh, and our, we want our fan base to embrace that too. I think that's right. I think that's the right message uh, from from a college football coach. Uh, the guys who have figured that out. Are I think handling this moment well, and the guys who haven't figured that out maybe are are having a tough time with it. Yeah, and it's the guys who who've consistently sort like you said. You know, that's a great that's a great point about somebody like James Franklin, who in in, in, in you know previous instances has shown already. You know, like I'm going to stand up for my guys. I'm going to do you know if they think that they're if something is happening to them that's out of bounds or wrong or, or what have you, I'm going to stand up for it. I'm not going to be afraid of what it looks like to a certain section of the people who, you know, pay my salary. And, you know, when we talk about Harbaugh, that's been the case really since day one. It's never, I mean, that's just him. His personality is one of which he doesn't care what other people, you know, we know that, right? He doesn't care what other people think of it one way or the other. Uh, it's not a thing, but I can go back to even to when he invited, uh, Barack Obama and Michelle Obama to be co-captains or whatever it was, or I think it might have just been Barack Obama to be a captain. And there was a, I think that was 2016, I want to say somewhere in there. And there was a massive, uh, you know, portion of Michigan's fan base that I saw on Twitter that were, if he shows up at a game, you know, and it was a lot of this type of stuff. And uh, he never cared. He just kept, you know, because it was one of those things where, you know, he was, you uh, trying to be different, trying to be unique, trying to create experiences for his guys that he thought were kind of cool. And that, you know, what one would have been better than that? So, I mean, there's there are all sorts of instances over the years where, you know, his default is usually in matters like this to just support his guys, to listen to him and, and try to support him as best he can. I think some of that comes from, you know, a guy played in the NFL for 18 years and he's been around locker rooms his whole life and he'd been around, you know, uh, teams and understands what that means to be part of a team. Um, and I think that that, like you said earlier, Austin, with, with something like with James Franklin, uh, you know, and is an example of, you know, we're all on a team. Uh, it's not going to work if we're not all supporting each other and listening to each other. Uh, those type of coaches, like you said, are the ones that are 
sort of standing as examples of what to do and the ones that are they're seemingly putting out these awkward video statements that you know look weird and uncomfortable and uh, you know rehearsed are the ones who this is a dictatorship i don't have to listen to anybody uh these guys shouldn't be paid this is my money you know that sort of stuff right. and it's like eventually and and i do wonder you know are we going to see you know is that going to be something that impacts the sport in terms of you know where people go or what have you going forward i have no idea but it has been interesting to watch um, and has been notable to see some of this stuff as it's happened over the last week and a half. Yeah, I think it's a, it's a moment that all of us really, uh, you know, you got to approach it with some humility. Uh, yeah. You know, I, yep. I think everybody at this, at this moment should be really, you know, introspective and thinking about how we do things. And, I, you know, I've had some oh, of those course. conversations yeah. and some of those thoughts myself in terms of, you know, how we cover sports. Like, yep. you know, it, I think that if you, you know, approach this moment of like, well, yeah, you know, hopefully all those other people th- you know, think about what they've yeah. been doing. Uh, that that may be just not the way to approach it. I think all of us, uh, you know, should should take some time here and reflect on some things, and uh, we we can all we can all do better. So uh, hopefully, yep. this moment uh, is a catalyst for that. Okay, so let's uh, let's switch gears here a little bit and uh, talk about. Uh, Talk about some sports. Maybe uh, we're getting closer. All the signs are uh, that uh, that Michigan is inching toward uh, a return to football. I guess you would say, right. uh, but but certainly not uh, as rapidly as some other schools are. We saw on Monday a bunch of schools, including Ohio State, uh, welcomed players back for the first voluntary workouts. Michigan State last week released its plan to start that uh, start that next week. Michigan still kind of kind of in limbo. We think it's coming at some point soon, uh, but but we haven't heard anything mm-hmm. definitive. Nick, what what's your understanding of where things stand in terms of Michigan uh, starting up some some voluntary workouts and getting players back on campus? Yeah, my understanding through the whole through the whole thing was that you know they were being extremely careful and sort of um, waiting on. Um, you know, Gretchen Whitmer's, you know, Governor Gretchen Whitmer here in Michigan, when she, you know, had the executive orders, the stay home orders and uh, state of emergency and these things, you know, they were waiting on, you know, when were those going to be lifted? Uh, when maybe, were those possibly going to return? No one really knew. Uh, so through through that process, through, you know, April and into May, I you know, I think June 15th was uh, sort of a target date, you know, maybe a hopeful date. Um, but by no means, in my understanding, was it ever something that was, you know, athletic department wide, university wide official that that was going to happen. You know, every conversation I've had with folks up there has been, you know, there's a lot that goes on in this process, which includes, you know, they've got to start by bringing um, employees back. You know, that's the first wave uh, that, that need would need to happen as well. And then eventually the conversation about bringing students back and everything else. Uh, the precautions they were going to have to set uh, once the students, or the student athletes, were able to come back. You know, like Michigan State, we saw. You know, they brought back. Uh, I believe it's four teams. I think so, or something like that. So it's uh, two two men's teams, two women's teams. I think it's men's, women's basketball, volleyball, and uh, football. Uh, and they had precautions for all uh, all the players. But even you know, we talked to those to some of those folks there a week and a half ago, and there was still, or I guess it was last week by now. And there was still a lot of questions that they had that they couldn't answer because they were like, we just don't know yet. And I and I do wonder, you know, Michigan, I, my sense was is they were trying to get an answer for everything they could possibly get an answer for, knowing that there was probably going to be some questions they weren't going to be able to 
you know, have answers for. But I think, you know, my assumption was is they were trying to get as many that they thought they could answer, as many of those answered before finalizing something. Um, and so, yeah, I mean, I, I don't, I don't anticipate it not coming at all, but I mean, I think that it hasn't happened here on, and it could, you know, I guess it's any point really, but we're sitting here June 10th, uh, midday and we haven't seen anything quite yet, but, um, yeah, I would, I would think that's the target, but again, I, with Michigan, no one had ever said anything was official. Um, I believe, you know, it had been reported that some recruiting, some freshmen, incoming freshmen, you know, their families and parents had been told on the football side that looks like June 15th. Um, and, you know, and, and that that's accurate. Uh, but beyond that, or that's, you know, the reporting's accurate, I should say. But beyond that, I don't think anyone had been told, you know, it's an ironclad, you know, this is what we're doing for sure. You know, if they have, that hasn't been announced yet. Yeah, it, you know, it's it's good to set a target. Uh, it sounds yeah. sounds like that June fifteenth date was a target, but there's so many moving parts to this that uh, it, it's a moving target. I think is yeah the way right. That great, we that's a great way to put have it. to phrase it. Uh, I, you know, we've already seen some schools uh, maybe you know get a little bit ahead of themselves in terms of saying, okay, this yes. is what we're going to do, and then have to change course when some new information comes out. You know, there there had been, and I wrote a piece this week, sort of looking at some of the decision points that schools have had to make. One of the you know one of the points where some have diverged is with the initial testing. Do you test everybody when they come in, or do you test only those who might have symptoms? Uh, right. There were a few schools who said, well, we're only going to test those who have symptoms. And then there has been some pushback to that of people saying, well, you know, what if you've got somebody who's asymptomatic? Uh, so we've seen some schools already have to change course on that. And it, my, my feel for it is that Michigan doesn't want to be in a position where they say, okay, this is what, we, what we're going to do. And then some new information comes out and exactly. they have to say, oh, we're going to do something different. Uh, but we're getting down to the point now where you kind of do have to say, Okay, this is this is what we this is what we think at this point. Uh, as these other schools are are coming back, um, you know, I, I think that we're rapidly getting to the point where you either have to say, okay, we're bringing players back, and here's how we're going to do it, or you have to say, here's here's how we feel right now, and here's why it's different from from what these other yeah. schools are doing, uh, because there is so much momentum toward that right now in college football. So many schools have announced plans to come back that, you know, if, if you feel like that's premature, I think that that's totally valid. Um, but at some point I think, you know, we're going to have to hear, okay, this is, this is the information we're working off of. This is how we feel about this at this moment. Here's why we're doing what we're doing because there is, you know, I think everybody's been, been patient on this understanding that it's such an unprecedented mm-hmm. situation. It's evolving by the minute. I mean, nobody expects that, okay, we're going to have all the answers right now as soon as we want them. I mean, I think everybody's got to understand that this thing is just something that everybody's dealing with for the first time, and we all have to be patient. Uh, but you know, we are getting down to the point now, you know, at, at this point with two months, you know, to go before, uh, you know, teams would be right in the middle of, of preseason camp. Uh, we're getting down to that point where we're, we kind of have to clarify where everybody stands. Yeah, because it's, you know, like you said, they're, they're, it's impossible. And I don't think it should be fair for anyone to expect, you know, there, if you're going to do it at all, there's going to be some risk involved because there are going to be questions that just aren't going to have answers. I mean, that was, again, we talked to 
Bill Beekman at Michigan State last week, and uh, he kept getting asked, asked questions, you know, about hypotheticals. And at one point, it was like, well, I mean, you know, we're going to have to. A lot of that stuff is just, you know, about the fall. And it'd be like a lot of that stuff is stuff that we're going to have to just see what it looks like in the fall and kind of go from there. And you know, not that these other schools maybe haven't done this, but it, my my sense has been Michigan wanted to, you know, sort of. And this isn't somebody saying this. This is my my assumption based on talking to folks. Was they wanted to minimize as much as they could the number of impossible questions that they knew they'd have to face uh, before you know announcing and fully bringing forward. But you're right; that's a great point. If if they if they're if they're not comfortable doing it at all, then I think it I think that would merit a statement or a comment or something as well. Uh, because if you if if you if they're of the belief that hey maybe this shouldn't be happening, and they don't say anything. Then you know what are we really doing here? I mean, and, and people just guess and whatever, I guess. But like, if if they're opposed to it or something, I'm not saying that they are, but I mean, like, it would be. I think that would uh, be a time right around now when everybody else is sort of coming back. I mean, we saw what was it? Alabama came back, and then what was it? Two or three days later, there was five guys that had tested mm-hmm. positive for COVID or something. So, mm-hmm. um, you know, there's going to be things that happen upon that return that are going to be tricky. Uh, and again, this is still just mid June, and you know these workouts for I'm not sure what the for the foreseeable future I suppose because they wouldn't be able to go back to camp until later anyway would be voluntary all that. Um, so yeah, I I don't know. I mean, obviously they obviously they've been working <laughs> every contingency and every single possible thing uh, like everybody else, um, which is which I'm sure is beyond tireless uh, to try to think of every single scenario. Um, first, which is kind of required to do this, but, um, you know, I would expect, uh, that we'd hear something in the near future, but I, I don't know that that's, uh, that's a guarantee either. So that's, you know, usually how it goes with Michigan, uh, for the most part with a lot of stuff too. And sometimes it just sort of happens and there it is and, and on we go. Yeah. I think there's a reasonable debate to be had in terms of you know, what is the value of, hurrying to get guys started with voluntary right. workouts. I mean, I, you know, Joe Castiglione at, uh, at Oklahoma, uh, was on the podcast with Andy Staples, uh, this week or last week talking about Oklahoma's plan. Uh, Oklahoma's not coming back until July 1st. Um, right. and I think, I think, you know, his, his argument on that was basically like, let's not get, you know, let's not lose perspective here about what we're talking about. Um, you know, it's, yeah. This, you know, these voluntary workouts in June are not going to be the difference between <laughs> winning a national championship no. and having a losing season. Like, you know, it's great. Uh, it's not that they're worthless, uh, but, you know, what, what really counts is making sure that you have the plan in place that when you do bring your, your team back, that you, mm-hmm. that you know what you're going to do, that you've, you know, done every bit of due diligence that you can do to make sure that it that it's safe uh that you've prepared as much as you can possibly prepare because really you know and i wrote this in in the piece this week in some ways these you know these individual voluntary or you know small group voluntary workouts are are, that's the easy part right yeah (laughs) you know you can enforce distancing you can limit who the players are interacting with you can take all these precautions you know, that's really just one small step toward all of the things that you're going to have to eventually figure out. 
enabled to have a season and do it safely. When you get mm-hmm. to the point of preseason camp and the cons- consensus has been talking about a six-week camp leading up to, to the season, you're going to have to figure out how do you have full squad practices? You know, What are your protocols if somebody tests positive when you're doing 11-on-11 drills mm-hmm. and you know players are tackling each other um all of those questions you know that that's the hard stuff that you got to figure out beyond just how do you get a group of 10 players in a weight room uh so so there's a, a ton that goes into this and the stuff that's happening now is just one small step uh in a, a really long process so yeah. i do think that there's a point to be made that you know let's not just all get caught up in okay well right. the players are back they've got it figured out like there's a lot more that right. goes into it than that. And I think I would point out, too, that, you know, when this all started, uh, if you remember back, and I'm not, this isn't meant as a swipe at anybody else, because we know that when this all started, it was kind of chaos, or it was chaos. Uh, Michigan was Michigan was maybe the first, it's certainly the first Big Ten program that I saw, maybe one of the first Power Five programs that said, we're pulling everybody off the road, we're not recruiting uh, we're done with all the, you know, we're not doing anything indefinite, indefinite suspension of all football activities. We, they stopped recruiting before anybody else that I saw. They pulled people off the road, stopped all activity, uh, stopped it cold on one of those days in that first week there. And I remember that being jarring to a lot of people in the moment because a lot of other programs hadn't done it. Well, you know, within the next hour and a half, Ohio State had done the same thing and everything else. Um, and then others followed. But that also stands, you know, the fact that they they jumped in and stopped everything, they were some of the, they were one of the first programs to do that. Would it would make sense that they would also maybe be one of the more overly cautious, maybe uh, you know uh, as much as possible cautious, I guess, um, to make sure that they had everything, all their ducks in a row before they brought them back. I mean, look, like you got to be able to tell somebody, you know, like Zach Charbonnet's from California, right? Like his family's in California. He's you know, conceivably going to have to be coming back. I don't know if he's here or not, but like, you know, somebody like that, you're going to have to talk to that person's, fa- that player's family and answer all the questions that they have. And if you have a bunch of unanswered questions that you don't know the answers to, then what are you doing? And I think that that's probably what is going on right now uh, at Michigan in terms of, you know, decisions and discussions that they're having, probably still, um, you know, right now. And, and of course, the Michigan's, the state of Michigan's stay at home order. Uh, actually goes through June 12th, which is Friday. So, you know, we'll see sort of where all that goes. And I believe the state of emergency even goes beyond that maybe uh, into the 19th. So I'm not real sure off the top of my head on all those dates, but, I, you know, still still ongoing for sure. Right. Okay, let's wrap on this. Uh, you had a, a piece earlier this week looking at some film on some of Michigan's commitments for the 2021 class. I remember on the podcast uh, a few weeks ago mm-hmm. talking about uh, the fan base being a little bit restless, wondering you yeah. know, where, where are the playmakers on defense in this class? Uh, and we kind of said, you know, hey, it's, you know, it's a valid concern, but let's wait and see because it can change really quickly. Uh, and then sure enough, Michigan had it a did. good run there, uh, <laughs> yeah, picking right. up some guys. Uh, Jaden Hood, the inside linebacker uh, that you wrote about, Junior Colson, mm-hmm. uh, profiles as potentially like a Viper type player, hybrid uh, safety right. linebacker type of player. Uh, so what were your impressions digging digging into the film on, on some of those guys who, who have committed and also some of the guys who are still out there? Yeah, I think that, you know, it looks better certainly than it did, um, you know, maybe at the at maybe in March um, or you know right around the time where spring ball would have been happening. Um, 
with some of those additions. But yeah, you go through the class and it's kind of it reminds it reminds a bit of um, you know maybe their 2019 class, which was pretty solid. They had some had some solid players at the top. I mean, they've got uh, currently one, two, three, four, five, six, seven, seven top 300 players. Uh, two in the top 100. You'd like to see more of that, obviously. But some nice players. Uh, you know, again, it's a top 10 class right now. Um, and then some of the recent additions probably helped out. Like I said, Junior Colson, um, you know, a really interesting uh, coverage linebacker who can run around with tight ends. Uh, Jaden Hood was the guy that really, um, you know, it's funny. Every time they sign on inside linebacker now, uh, <laughs> every time, every time. Uh, it is, you know, it, it's just Devin Bush, right? And it's like, and that's the the question that people have every single time. And, and Jaden Hood um, is taller than Devin was, but he's also in that, you know, Devin was probably a 210, 215 pound linebacker in high school at this age. And Jaden Hood's around the same. And when you watch them run, you know, at times, is there are there things that, you know, that I remember watching Devin Bush's highlight tape do I, and I see Jaden Hood have some of those instincts. Yeah, I do. I mean, there are, th- there are some things... Uh, that are similar to that, and that's why you know I think he's kind of an exciting prospect. However, I'm not going to compare the two at all. That's not fair to anybody. But I mean, he's he's a really interesting guy to watch. I think he can really, really fit in well with what they're doing if he continues to sort of develop and grow into his body. Uh, I really liked Raheem Anderson, the uh, the center from Cast Tech, uh, who could probably play guard as well. Super powerful guy. I like what they've done with their offensive line class in general. Um, Raheem Anderson, Greg Crippen, the, the kid from. Uh, from IMG, both those guys are centers, but both those guys could also play guard. Uh, we always know how difficult it is to find centers. Uh, both of them are capable. Both of them can play guard. Giovanni Elhadi from Sterling Heights is a tackle, uh, and he's a really talented prospect, top 100, top 100 player. Uh, Drew Kendall is a kid they're still trying to recruit. Really, really like him. Um, he's another one of these. He's kind of like a uh, guard-shaped Ryan Hayes prospect. Where, if if you remember back, Ryan Hayes was a Six seven two hundred fifty pound uh, tight end that they signed with the intent in making a tackle. Uh, Kendall would be uh, probably a I think he's like six four two fifty somewhere in there. Uh, he's an interior lineman. He's a guard who can maybe play tackle, maybe built a little bit like John Runyon uh, in that sense, but also super athletic, super quick, really runs well. All of Michigan's linemen move well that they've signed. I think that they're all so far that I can see on the top end of it anyway. Um, you know that's where they want to go. So it's a solid class, but again, yes, there is, uh, there are some things still sitting out there. One of which being uh, Donovan Edwards, uh, probably the biggest one on there, and then of course Rocco Spindler, the another interior lineman, um, who they've been recruiting for quite some time, son of uh, Mark Spindler, the former Detroit Lion. But Edwards, really, Austin is the guy that um, you know he's you know he plays at West Bloomfield, which is you know thirty minutes from here. Uh, Ron Bellamy is his coach, and Ron Bellamy played at Michigan. And not to say that Ron Bellamy funnels kids to Michigan because he doesn't. Ron takes care of his kids and makes sure they go wherever they want to go. Um, but you know, I mean, when you got a player who's legit top thirty prospect in the country who fits into everything Josh Gaddis wants to do on offense, I mean, I mean, it's perfect. I mean, it would he can run routes out of the backfield. He can take take handoffs. He can be involved in the option game. He can line up in the slot. This guy can do. There's not. There are. You know. I don't want to say an infinite number, but it's probably close to that of things that Josh Gaddis could scheme up for a guy like this. I mean, he's like, he's cut from that Giles Jackson kind of mold of a guy who can do many different things in many different areas of your offense and be incredibly difficult to stop. He's also 20 minutes down the road. You got to sign him. I mean, like that's, that's the one where I look at a guy like Edwards. They've been recruiting him for this long. 
Um, if you lost a kid like that to Georgia or something, it would be pretty indicative of sort of where you're at, uh, you know, in terms of what people view you and, you know, as a, as a program right now, uh, football wise. And so, you know, that's one they've spent a ton of time on and they've got to finish. Uh, it seems like Ohio state's already sort of taken another kid at running back. And so I'm not sure if Ohio state is, is the option there anymore, or if it's, if it's a committable situation for him anymore, but it seems like Georgia, Penn state, uh, maybe some others as well, but uh, Michigan State, maybe we'll maybe we'll try to, to make us make a swing there. Although that'd be catching up from behind. Uh, that's a kid Michigan has to get him, and then I would also say Rocco Spindler, the other kid they've spent a ton of time recruiting him as well. But Edwards, especially, you've got to get that guy because athletically, those guys don't grow on trees, and they certainly don't grow on trees twenty minutes down the street. They have to sign this kid. They have to land him. That would be a big blow, I think, losing him anywhere else. Yeah, that, I think that's the difference between a good class and a great class. It is, uh, yeah. If you, if you finish it with Edwards and Spindler, uh, I think now we're talking about this class, you know, at least comparing it to, to some of Jim Harbaugh's best classes at Michigan. Uh, if, if those guys end up going out of state, I think, you know, there's still a lot to like in this class. Uh, anytime yeah. you sign a, you know, a five-star quarterback, top 25 player, uh, that, that's, you know, that, that's a good foundation for your class. But uh, really have a chance to, to finish it strong and uh, make this one of Jim Harbaugh's better classes at Michigan. That, that possibility is still out there, uh, but there's a lot that, that has to happen in order for that to take place. Um, all right, everybody. Uh, thank you for uh, for checking out the podcast and uh, continuing to support our work at The Athletic. Uh, we really appreciate that. We know it's been a, a weird time with no sports going on uh, for everybody, uh, but we appreciate you sticking with us. Uh, there's there's a light at the end of the tunnel. Uh, we're, we're hopeful that we're going to get some sports back very soon uh, and are looking forward to covering that uh, and talking about it here on the podcast. Uh, Nick and I will be back to talk to you soon on the RPM Podcast.